from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. It's being called a miracle. We have an anhydrous ammonia accident. An anhydrous ammonia accident? Okay. I need this. I need, I, I need an ambulance. I need hazmat crew. It's bad. How one woman in ag helped to save the life of her fiance, caught up in an anhydrous ammonia leak. Back open for business, reaction after officials reopened two key bridges to traffic at the southern border. As the government looks to make changes when it comes to handling CAFOs, the important role the livestock industry can play in the conversation right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Some activists are calling right now for stricter regulations when it comes to livestock production in the nation. And the EPA has announced it's creating a new board to help evaluate the rules regarding confined animal feeding operations. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, livestock producers will play an important role on this board. EPA is involving livestock producers to advise them on any updates that need to be made with the current CAFO program, especially when it comes to water quality. They acknowledge that there have been a lot of changes that have taken place in livestock production technology in the last 10 to 15 years. The new Animal Agriculture and Water Quality Subcommittee is an advisory group and part of the Farm, Ranch, and Rural Communities Advisory Committee. The board will help EPA evaluate and strike a balance between livestock production and water quality protection. They'll consider the most effective ways to reduce pollutants generated from livestock production. The new subcommittee is going to specifically focus on um, how we can work across the ag sector and with diverse stakeholders on improving water quality outcomes from CAFOs and AFOs. The advisory board was developed after EPA denied two petitions in August filed by environmental and animal rights groups to overhaul the Clean Water Act permitting program for CAFOs. We said at that time that we didn't really have enough information um, to take the steps and the actions that the groups were asking us to, uh, but instead we would convene this subcommittee and bring in um, diverse representatives from across the country, um, you know, farmers themselves, uh, universities, environmental groups, other experts in CAFOs and water quality to help inform any future decisions that the agency might make. The subcommittee will evaluate a detailed study of the CAFO affluent limitation guidelines and help EPA modernize its CAFO program. We know that producers are not using the exact same technologies or practices now as we were 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So how do we better bring those best management practices into our decision making and really understand how the industry is operating now versus maybe the last time we updated our CAFO regs? EPA is accepting nominations until January 2nd, and the committee will be seated next spring. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. An update on a story Michelle followed all last week. Two rail crossings at the southern border shut down for days due to a surge in migrants moving by train. Now, on Friday, Customs and Border Protection reopened the railway crossing bridges in Eagle Pass in El Paso, Texas. As we told you last week, several ag groups expressed concern about the closings since rail is a key way for the U.S. to move ag products in and out of Mexico. Now, the National Grain and Feed Association and the North American Export Grain Association issuing a statement after the bridges were reopened, saying that any closure of crossing into Mexico is, quote, unacceptable and significantly impacts the flow of grain 
and oil seeds for both human and livestock feed to one of the United States' most important export markets and trading partners, end quote. The groups went on to say a dialogue is needed between both governments to ensure it doesn't happen again. A new Ag Economist monthly monitor shows economists' concerns about the ag economy are growing. The monthly survey was conducted by the University of Missouri and Farm Journal. It shows while expectations about the 2024 net farm income remains steady, ag economists are slightly more pessimistic about the year ahead, seen here in yellow. Now, when asked about a possible recession, the majority of those surveyed said the U.S. would not be in recession in 2024, while well, a few said they were unsure. Now, looking ahead, ag economists say they were most concerned about geopolitical issues and the U.S. presidential election as their top concerns that could impact the overall ag economy. For more on the results of the new survey, be sure to check out agweb.com. USDA is forecasting that Brazil will export twice as many soybeans as the U.S. in the current trade year. The agency is saying Brazil will account for 58% of international soybean sales, while the U.S. market share will drop to 28%. That's down 10% from two years ago. Analysts say Brazil has improved its transportation infrastructure, which has led to a $21 per metric ton cut in transportation costs, making the country more competitive. Specifically, they point to the paving of the main highway in the Brazilian state of Mato Grosso, which has lowered the cost of transporting soybeans to northern ports. Those ports are also closer to the Panama Canal, which has also contributed to an overall cut in transportation costs. Now, the U.S. uses primarily rail and river to transport its soybeans. Some areas of the country saw a white Christmas, but for many in the Midwest, it was a rainy holiday weekend. Meteorologist Courtney Jorgensen has a look ahead to this week. That's right. Some folks had rain, some had snow over the holiday weekend. But as we take a look at what we're expecting for the next seven days, by the time we get towards about Thursday, you can see much of the country still is on that dry side. Now we do have some rain coming over on the East Coast as well as on the West Coast, where we are dealing with those rain showers, particularly picking up on the East Coast area. By the time we wrap things up towards the end of those seven days, a little bit in the Midwest, but most of the rain really a falling along that Atlantic seaboard all the way down towards Florida, where we're looking more along that round of probably an inch of rain, some isolated spots you can see in the Carolinas, uh, where we are seeing maybe even over or closer to two inches. Now, as we look across the area, though, certainly a lot of dry conditions in those next seven days, particularly where we need the rain. In fact, we have drought conditions still across most of the southern half of the United States, and we are going to be talking about that and what is to come. Now, some areas of the countries did see that white Christmas, but folks, well, they are still out there harvesting. We've been keeping you updated on farmer Robert Reese in Lansing, Michigan. Late last week, Robert said he harvested the final 12. He said it was the longest, wettest, and most challenging harvest, and it's finally come to an end. I'll have more on the forecast coming up in just a bit. Good news for U.S. pork producers. The Philippines has extended a cut on pork import tariffs through the end of next year. The reduced pork tariffs for inbound cargo from the U.S. has been in place since mid-2021. These were originally um, 
implemented to stabilize the pork supplies as the Philippines was recovering from African swine fever. And these rate cuts uh, were due to expire at the end of this month, but have now been extended. And just for some reference, the in-quota duty rate normally is at 30%, and with the reduced rates, they'll be 15 And the out-of-duty quota rate, uh, normally 40%, will be reduced to 25%. So while this is good news, still, even at these lower rates, it's still a relatively high duty. Hallstrom says the goal in many overseas markets is to create a situation where per capita consumption increases over time, which then benefits not only imports, but the domestic pork industry. There's better news when it comes to food inflation for the year ahead. USDA saying it now expects food price inflation to be just 1.2%. That's down from nearly 3% from the previous estimate back in November. Now, if realized, it will be the smallest rise in food prices since 2017. Meanwhile, grocery prices are forecast to actually fall 0.6% in 2024. The last time we saw a decline in food prices at the grocery store, an annual decline, was in 2017. Restaurant prices, they're expected to increase another 5% in the new year. That is the highest forecast increase since USDA started releasing its 2024 outlook back in July. Commodity markets wrap their pre-Christmas run as we preview the final week of the marketing year. That is coming up next in Markets Now. And later, we continue our look at women in ag and a woman whose quick action helped to save the life of her farmer fiancé. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator Closing Wheels today. Commodity markets ended last week, mostly green. Michelle Rook is back to discuss where markets could be heading as we finish out 2023 in Markets Now. Joining me with market analysis, Don Rose with U.S. Commodities. And Don, as we start a new week, a holiday week, it's end of year. And will we be kind of focused in on Brazil weather watching those grains? Well, you know, I think the dominant issue is going to continue to be uh, South America weather, specifically uh, Central and Northern Brazil weather. And you know, they're in some of these critical growing periods now. And we took an awful lot of risk premium out of the market uh, here the last, uh, basically the month, uh, last week really on some uh, rain forecast. Is it a pattern change? So uh, it'll be all about weather again next week. And then of course, demand after that. So the Mexican railroad situation did get solved last Friday. Will that take a little pressure off the market, do you think? Well, I think when you don't have a lot of news, Michelle, and psychologically, uh, and of course, our largest trading partner in ag, basically, um, yeah, I think that is a, a positive. It comes back to be uh, uh, something that puts a little bit of bid underneath the market. Uh, the big issue with the corn market is we're lugging around a 2.1 billion bushel corn carry out with a carry in the market that uh, is hard to achieve eventually, uh, and that is the real issue in the corn market. We do have some historical tendencies, though, to rally a bit at the end of the year, don't we? Yeah, we most definitely do. I, we uh, Actually, when you come back after uh, Christmas here on the first day, 70% uh, of the time, uh, the soybeans last 23 years has gone up uh, on the corn market, that is, about $0.06. Cents. The soybeans, uh, about 61% of the time, go up $0.23. Cents. So we'll see. Uh, there is a tendency. I think it's looking at the uh, South America weather and the demand underneath the market in the year that usually does that, Michelle. And livestock are going to be reacting to the USDA reports from Friday, right? 
Yeah, it was a, a positive report on the hog market. Still no expansion going on. In fact, the liquidation going uh, pretty aggressively. Uh, more of a neutral report, maybe a little negative on the placements on cattle overall. Probably not a big uh, difference there. Probably the demand's going to be the factor in seasonally if we can get this cash market to move up this way. As we head up towards the north central Great Plains, we are going to be looking at some snowfall coming in. No rain, but more along the lines of snowfall. So by the time we get towards about Wednesday, we are looking at some of the snow. Now, not a lot, probably less than a couple of inches. You can see some of those highlighted areas in purple. That's in that three to six inch range. Most of the snow is heading further up towards the Canadian areas and us here across the nation really aren't seeing much of that. That's because we're generally going to be on that drier side. Snowfall estimate by the time we get through Thursday afternoon really doesn't account for much. Now that is all coming along with that jet stream. We get a little dip in there and that's going to bring us some of that energy as we head through Tuesday. Wednesday, we start to see a ridge over on the west coast. That's going to be keeping us on that drier side as the time we head on into Friday. Now we need the rain when we take a look at the drought monitor, especially further towards the south where we are seeing those areas for anywhere from severe extreme to exceptional droughts. But overall, taking a wider look at the country, almost everyone is dealing with a normal tour some kind of a dry condition, especially further along that uh, Mississippi Valley where we are dealing with those extreme to even exceptional areas of drought. Now, we won't be getting a lot of rainfall in the coming days for that, but we could certainly use that further towards the north where we are seeing some of that snowfall coming in. We also have some severe droughts there, even some isolated areas with exceptional droughts, so we could use some more of that precipitation. As we take a little bit look further into those coming days, how much precipitation or temperatures uh, outlook is what we're going to be checking out first. And as we take a look at that pretty normal or above normal temperatures across most of the country. In fact, as we head further towards the north into the northern Great Lakes, well above normal temperatures there. Further towards the southeast going to be a bit on that cooler side. And as we take a look at that moisture, the good news is we'll start to see more moisture as we head further towards the southwest. And that is certainly going to help those folks out as we are looking at those drought conditions. So hopefully we'll get some more wetter conditions in those coming days. We'll be a little bit further uh, drier as you head towards the north. Let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast in your area. Montgomery, New York, we're looking at some afternoon showers, high of 48 degrees. Heading over to Hannibal, Missouri, cloudy, bit of rain there too, high of 40 degrees today. And heading over to Appleton, Wisconsin, it's going to be a cloudy one for you, high temperature 46. The latest milk production report is out. We have the latest numbers as the industry looks to balance out supplies. And later, quick action saves an Iowa farmer's life after a terrible accident involving anhydrous ammonia. That story today in the country. The latest milk production report shows there's been a drop in the number of dairy cows. USDA says milk production in the 24 major states last month totaled 17.3 billion pounds. That's a decline of 0.5% from November of last year. Now the number of milk cows on farms in those major states was 8.9 million head. That's 26,000 head less than November of 2022 and 9,000 head less than in October of this year. The number of milk cows on all farms in the U.S. came to 9.36 million head, 44,000 head less year over year and 10,000 fewer than in October. Now, according to Phil Plord of Everdot Ag, with cow numbers down, it's hard to see milk production getting a lot stronger over the near term 
to intermediate term. Christmas has come and gone, and for many, it was a day off from responsibilities. But we want to acknowledge that's not the case for dairy producers. Ken Smith, a dairyman from Remington, Virginia, says Christmas Day at his farm is fragmented. You get about six hours with your family, and the rest of the help get about six hours and everybody comes together to make sure the work gets done. Work for sure, because of course the cows have to be milked and fed on Christmas, just like any other day. Ken telling USDA Radio he may get a really rare, important gift this year. After four years in business, he says, hey, they're getting really close to breaking even. You know, life on the farm can be scary sometimes. Up next, a miracle in Iowa's farm fields as a man survives a terrible anhydrous accident thanks to some quick thinking in the country. This year, Farm Journal's Stein Morgan has been profiling women in ag. And to wrap things up this year, she has an exclusive look into a recent anhydrous ammonia accident in rural Iowa. And as she reports, many are calling what happened after that incident a miracle. It was calm across these Iowa fields on November 19th. It was a Sunday, and Kendra Vanderleest says here in central Iowa, it seemed prime for fall field work. Before lunch, he decided it was fit to pull ammonia. She says her fiance, Joe Rimpy, spent all afternoon in the field. As the evening came around, um, I had checked on him, Live 360, and everything seemed fine at that point. And about 7.30 that night, she heard the tractor crawling toward the house, thinking it meant Joe was calling it quits for the night. I was in the kitchen making Josie's bedtime bottle, and I was prepping her bottles for daycare on Monday. And I went to put the, her bottles in her daycare bag and just happened to look up out and out the window and I saw the tractor and a plume of anhydrous smoke. Seeing that plume of smoke, Kendra's heart dropped. I knew it was Joe. I knew instantly it was Joe. Um, I knew what I was seeing, but it was just surreal. Like, there's no way. She rushed to grab her phone, and she said she was full of fear. And as I'm running up the steps, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's gone. There's no way. Like, as bad as that is, there's no way. Knowing she would call and Joe might not even be alive to answer, she called anyway. I knew I couldn't run out there into the plume. Otherwise, I would wind up dead or hurt. So I called him and he answered. I think he's Joe. All I can say was help me. I hung up and called 911. Um, but I knew by the way he said help me that he was badly hurt. Hello 911, where is your emergency? We have an anhydrous ammonia accident. An anhydrous ammonia accident? Okay. I need I need I I need an ambulance. I need hazmat crew. The urgent 911 call capturing the moment Kendra found Joe. Joe, I'm on the phone with 911. You need water? Oh, God. Okay, I've got 911 on the phone. Joe, just lay down. I'm going to get water. Lay down. I'm going to get water. All right. He's, he inhaled? Yes, his lungs are burned. He said his lungs are burned. The tank is completely unloading, but there's no houses nearby. Okay for anyone to get her. It's, it's bad. Kendra says she found Joe crawling on this gravel about 200 yards from where the tractor had stopped and he was fighting for his life. As soon as he heard me, he just collapsed. 
Kendra says the second she saw the plume of smoke, she immediately knew it was in hydras. That's because Kendra's full-time job is with the Iowa Department of Agriculture in the Feed and Fertilizer Bureau, handling anhydrous ammonia inspections across the state. So she knew exactly how bad the damage could be. He didn't have any burns on his skin, so the water didn't really do any good. There was nothing for me to dump the water on, but he, all of his burns were all internal. Really badly burned inside. All right, thanks, time. But the story doesn't end there. Tomorrow morning, Joe shares how the accident happened and the efforts to save his life. That's all the time we have this morning. Sure glad you tuned in. Thanks for watching. From all of us here at Ag Game, including Have a great day.